Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth has he given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are the one and only living and true God. You are infinite in being and perfection. You are a most pure spirit, invisible, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, and almighty. You are most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of your own perfect will, for your own glory. You're most loving and gracious and merciful, long-suffering. You're abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. You are most just. You hate all sin. And your judgments are terrifying. Father, we are sinners. And we confess this morning that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We are truly sorry, Lord. This morning we want to turn from our sin, to repent, to trust in you. We pray, Lord, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us. We thank you that you have loved this world so much that you've given your only Son that we here who believe in you should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you through faith in Christ that we have been adopted as your sons and daughters. And so, Lord, we come to this place, we gladly enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. 
giving thanks to you, blessing your holy name. And Father, we ask that you would at this time feed us with the holy food of your word and also the holy food of your table as we take communion. And we ask you, Lord, as we are in a message in Psalm 115 to, to search us, search our hearts, try us, know our thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Father, you alone can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful people. Father, we pray that you would help us, your people, to love the things which you command and desire the things you promise so that in this constantly changing world, our hearts would be tightly fixed to the only place where true joy is found, in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this for his glory. We pray even as this psalm says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We pray, Lord, that you would do that, that you would do this work for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. So this psalm is ultimately about worship. It starts with worship. Take a look at verse 1. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So it starts with worship. And then it ends with worship. Look at the last verse. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says, Praise the Lord, which in Hebrew, that's hallelujah. Right? Begins with worship, ends with worship. The psalms, guys, are about worship. They're all about how to get us from the place we're at, kind of like an on-ramp, to get us from the place we're at to a place of worship. And the Psalms meet us wherever we're at. This particular Psalm wants to help us by freeing us from the major hindrance of our worship. And that major hindrance that we all have is idolatry. It's idolatry. Idolatry has always been a threat to true worship. God's people have always been at risk in idolatry. Some of you guys are going through a Bible reading plan. You're going through the Old Testament, and you're seeing God's people fall again and again into idolatry. Moses warned the people when they were entering the promised land. Um, as he sent them off. He said this in Deuteronomy 4, For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the commandments of the Lord and his covenant to you, which he made with you. And make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. And then we see over the centuries, just like Moses had worried about, again and again over the centuries, Israel returns again and again to idolatry, and eventually they end up punished by exile in Babylon. And, you know, I know as we kind of are in the Old Testament, we're seeing the idolatry of Israel, I know that it'd be very easy for our um, chronological snobbery to come out. Okay, chronological snobbery is that we look down on people that are a long time ago and think, oh, how simple. We might be like, oh, those silly ancient people and all their idol worshiping. We would never do that. So silly, right? But it's not as silly as you think. And we're not so different as you think. Idolatry is a temptation whenever we face unhappy circumstances with an unseen God. Anytime we enter into unhappy circumstances, with our unseen God, there's a temptation to idolatry, right? I mean, listen to how the nations taunted Israel in verse 2. They were saying, where is their God? Okay, so Israel is in a time of suffering. Perhaps this was written around the time of the exile. They have had their country invaded, their temple destroyed, their people carted off into captivity in Babylon, and the nations are taunting them. Where is your God? A lot of good your God's doing you now, you know? 
as they taunt the people of Israel. And where is he anyway? You know, the funny thing about Israel is they were in the strange position of not having a physical God. Like all the nations around them say, where is your God? They'd be like, over there. He's right there in the temple. You can see him. You could touch him. You could put an offering down. Israel's in this weird position of not having a visible God. They're unique in that. They had a temple, but they had no God in it. Very strange. Of course, you know, they had the Lord in the temple, but they didn't have like a physical. So people around them would be like, there's not even a God in their temple. Where is their God? What's their God got going for them? How is he helping them? So here's Israel in these unhappy circumstances of exile with a God they can't see in the nation saying, where is your God? You can see, can't you, how tempting it would be for them to maybe want to get one, get a God like the rest of the nations, something they could put up and they could look at it and they could see it and they could trust in it and they could put their hope in it. Whenever Israel faced famine or infertility or disease or foreign invasion, they were always tempted to turn and latch on to a God they could see, an idol, some sort of a physical representation. Idols are a temptation whenever we face unhappy circumstances with an unseen God. And guys, we're no different. We too are tempted to trust in idols instead of trusting our God who is unseen. Our idols aren't made of stone and wood. An idol is really anything you trust in other than the Lord for your happiness and security. Anything you trust in other than the Lord for your ultimate blessing and security is your idol. Or as verse 9 says, anything you trust in to be your help and your shield. I love that, right? It's anything you're looking to be your help, to help you get happiness, and to be your shield, to offer you protection, offer you security, make you feel like your future is going to be okay, you're secure, you're going to be fine, because you have this thing. That's an idol. Anything you're hoping in for your happiness. Idols are usually good things that we have turned into God things. Right? Idols are good things we've turned into God things. They're, they're usually very good things, and they're very justifiable. Like, of course you want things like health and money and marriage and kids and respect and control and approval of others and, you know, a successful career and fitness and good looks and security and intellect and relationships. And no one could fault you for wanting all those things. Those are good things. But when those things become an ultimate thing, that's your idol. And they're everywhere, guys. They're everywhere in us. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are an idol factory. They're an idol factory. They can turn anything into an idol. Idols are good things that we've made ultimate things. Your idol is how you complete this sentence. Are you ready? I know my life is worth living if only I have blank. Right? I'll know my life is worth living if only I have blank. Now, the Lord's the only one that should really go in that blank. Can we agree, Christian people? Okay, yeah, we agree with that in principle, right? That if we had nothing, nothing, and only had the Lord, we would know our life would be worth living. Like, we know that intellectually. But anything we insert into there is our idol. That's our true worship. That's our true God. So which idol do you struggle with? I think it's really important in this message that you have one, because I'm going to keep referencing it, and you need to think about it. So Think about what your idol tends to be. What idol threatens your worship? What is that thing that you must have to know your life is worth it? And I just want to warn you, if you don't see how your heart is tempted to any idol, you're like, I can't really think of one. There's only two options. You are either entirely sanctified, which, see us later, because we all have evidence that's not true. You're either entirely sanctified, 
or you're blinded in self-righteousness, which would be the most dangerous place to be. And so if you're like, as we go through this, you're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm clear. He's like, really? Even yesterday, day before? I mean, you might have a sign in your house that says like seven idle free days or something, and then you have to put it back to zero every time, you know, you come back to one. But you are at risk for idols. And so what I'd say to you if you can't think of one is pray Psalm 139 verses 23 through 24. This is what it says. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer of examine. And so the Lord can reveal these things to you. And I think it's very important that you don't go idol hunting without the Lord's guidance. And, and the reason for that is, is that you know, on the one side, we believe our own justifications, but on the other side, some of you guys can be morbidly introspective, that you can find idols where there are none. Everything's an idol to you, you know? And if we don't engage the Lord to show us the parts where we need to change, we can be led down a whole path of morbid introspection, too. So which idol do you struggle with? Which idol threatens your worship? Make a note of it, because I'm going to keep coming back to it. So Psalm 115 is going to help us, recovering idolaters, to see the foolishness of idols, and we'll spend a lot of time on that, and then the faithfulness of God. Remember the taunt that the nations had toward Israel, where is your God? Psalm 115 is really the psalmist going like, oh, you want to battle the gods? You want to battle your idols against the Lord? Game on. That's what he's doing in this. So first he wants to show the foolishness of idols. First thing about our idols, our personal idols is they're, they're man-made. Look at verse 2 again. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. He, he makes this point here that idols are man-made. And that in itself should cause us to question how much they can save us, right? I mean, if you're the one that imagined this idol into existence, how could it possibly be powerful enough to save you from anything, right? Our idols are man-made. We are the ones who have made God's gifts into our gods. We're the ones that have taken the good gifts of God and turned them into idols. We've assigned things like career and kids and approval and body image and people's praise. We've assigned those ultimate meaning. They were just gifts. And we took it and we went, aha, this could be my idol. This could be my God. This could be the thing that saves me. We've assigned them that meaning. They're like Bitcoin, right? So it only has value because our imaginations say it does, right? Yeah. And I know what some of you are thinking when I say that, but I won't go there. Think about that idol that you're tempted with. How have you invested it with way too much importance? Think about it. How have you invested this thing with way too much importance? How have you given it godlike power over you? How have you let it become your true help and shield instead of the Lord? I mean, guys, think about your idol and then think about this. Life is very short. And our eternal reward in the world to come is very long. If you were to lose this thing, this idol, this thing that you desire so much, how much will it matter in 10 million years? Because you have 10 million years. How much will it matter in 10 centuries? You know what I mean? We've assigned this thing godlike power over us to, to help us and protect us. And just because you've decided some gift of God is, is, is your God and has all this power to save you, doesn't mean it can, right? Your idol is your own creation. How can it save you? So your idol is man-made. Your idol is weak, super weak. We trust in idols because they look good. They look legit. You know, you're going through some trouble. 
You have some unhappiness, you have some insecurity, and you think, okay, this thing can help me. They look legit. Look at verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold. They're shiny, right? They're attractive. They're promising. It says in verse 5 that these idols, they have mouths and, and eyes and ears and noses and hands and feet and throats. You know, you look at this idol and you're like, it all checks out. This is everything I need. This meets all my needs. This is the thing that if I had it, my life would be set. Our idols of money or control or power or respect or comfort, they look promising. They look like they check all the boxes. They look like they could be our help and shield. And you might even think like, well, why not have this possession or this relationship that I really shouldn't be in or this other thing? Why shouldn't this be the thing that I turn to? You know, you might believe the taunts of the nations. Where is, where is the Lord? I don't see the Lord, but I can see this thing in front of me. I can see this person in front of me that will meet all my needs. But your idol, guys, is weak, too weak to help you. Take a look at verse 5. He said these, the idols are silver and gold and all this, and they have mouths and all this. Look at verse 5. They have mouths but do not speak. Talk about the idols. Eyes but do not see. They have ears that do not hear. Noses but can't smell. They have hands that do not feel. Feet but they do not walk. And they do not even make a sound in their throats. So what he's saying here is that our idols are very visible. They look like they would help us, but they're also very lifeless and useless. They're lifeless and useless to give us ultimate happiness. They look powerful, but they're weak. They promise happiness, but they lie. Take money, for example. You know, money seems like a great, I mean, if I was going to pick one, which I have, <laughs> money would be great, right? That sounds like a help and a shield. Like, what can't you solve with money, right? But if you make money your ultimate help and shield, Proverbs 23 says this, when your eyes light upon it, wealth, it's gone. It suddenly sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle to the heavens. You guys seen that be true? You think, man, I got this together. And then what happens? Some economic disaster happens and it's gone. It flies away. And you knew this because your phone has this emoji. It has an emoji of a stack of money with wings. That's like Proverbs 23 as an emoji. Okay? It's amazing. Right? Our idols are weak. They can't give us the happiness and security they say they can. And think again about the idol that you trust in. What does it promise you? How has it repeatedly failed you? Because it's very likely it has a track record of failure. If it doesn't, it soon will. But I'll bet you it already does. Our idols are weak. Fun fact, the Babylonians, who were so tough and everything, their god Marduk, every time they would get invaded and conquered, the invading army would take Marduk away. So they would, like, take their god. That's rough, you know? It's kind of humiliating, you know? It was like, you beat me up, you destroy my thing, and you, like, carted my god away. And so they would have to go rescue him. You know, they have to rescue their God. They have to go find him and do a mission to get him out, you know, and all that. Guys, don't rescue your God. Don't rescue your idols. Don't come again and again and try to defend it. Even this morning, you're probably trying to defend it. You're like, he's not talking about me. Or when I said, what's the idol that you deal with? And you thought of one and you go, oh, no, not that one. No, that was the one. It was the first one. It's not the other one that you're like, seems more conquerable. It was the first one you mentioned. That's you going like, oh, Marduk, I'll save you. If you have to save your God, this is not in a good place to be, okay? Your idol is man-made, it's weak, and it's destroying you. Look at verse 8. So he talked about how the idols, you know, they can't see, they can't talk, they can't walk, they can't do all these things, right? And then verse 8 is the, the kicker. It says this, 
Those who make them become like them, so do all those who trust in them. There's a biblical principle here of you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. Your idol isn't just letting you down, it's destroying you. Your idol is actually making you in its own image. You become like what you worship. Verse 8, those who make them idols become like them, all those who trust in them. We were created, guys, to be God's image bearers, to reflect God. And what happens when we worship idols is we begin to reflect the idol, right? When we trust in idols, we reflect their deadness instead of reflecting the life of God. Our idols are dead and they're killing us. Take, for example, sex. This is something, a good gift of God. Something God's given that's literally life-giving, which is pretty trippy when you think about it. An act that makes humans. Isn't that weird? Did you ever think about that before you did it? <laughs> did you? <laughs> well, it's pretty crazy. Hey, let's make humans, you know, like, maybe we should think about this. So here's a good gift of God that's literally life-giving. It's life-giving emotionally and all that too, but it's physically life-giving. But when sex is made an idol, Proverbs 9 says that it becomes a banquet in the grave. Read Proverbs 9 a little bit later. It says that sex, when used as an idol, Proverbs 9, becomes a banquet in the grave. Our idols are out to destroy us. Remember, an idol is a, a good thing that you've made an ultimate thing. I mean, things like respect at work or help around the house or sex in marriage or obedient children or nicer possessions or peace and quiet or freedom to do your hobbies or support from your parents or recognition from your service. These are all good things. But when we make them ultimate things, they become idols. And Paul Tripp describes this really well, and I love what he did. I think it might be an instruments in the Redeemer's hand. I think that's where it is. He talks about desire. So desiring a good thing is fine. It's normal. You'd be weird if you didn't, right? So we desire good things, right? We desire the gifts of God. And a lot of those things I talked about, they're totally good things. Paul Tripp talks about a good desire as an open hand. I want. I want this thing. It's a good thing. I'm asking the Lord for it. I desire it from you all. You know, we want this thing that's a good thing, right? It's an open hand. But what happens when our desire becomes an over-desire, epithemia in the New Testament, is that the fingers of the hand of our heart, did you know your hearts have hands and fingers, curls around this thing, and it goes from I want to I need, okay? And when we start talking, I need this, I need that, and it's not like oxygen and food and stuff like that, we're getting in the territory of idolatry, right? I need. And notice what this is. This is a fist, right? And so it's, it turns into I must have, I will fight other people to get it. That good thing, that good thing has become, in the words of Gollum, my precious, my precious, right? I must have my precious. They want my precious. They can't have it, right? It's mine. And Gollum, guys, was a semi-adorable hobbit before the ring, <laughs> right? Idols, guys, destroy us. Look at what he became. You know, idols have symptoms. How do we know that we're trusting in something other than the Lord? Our sin will show it. It has symptoms. I have a diagram for it. And the first thing you're going to think is, wow, <laughs> did he draw this himself? I know. So idols have symptoms. If I have an idol that, that I desire, but you actually have it, my symptom's going to be envy. If you possess my idol, 
My symptom's going to be envy. That's this. There's the idol. This is the eye. Right? Somebody else has the thing that is my precious. The symptom in my life is going to be idolatry. Is it going to be envy, covetousness? This one, if you've taken my idol from me, it's going to be anger. Right? Anger is, is the symptom of my idol being taken by somebody else. James asked this question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's a great question. I bet we always give the wrong answer, right? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In your home, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? In your workplace, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Listen to James. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, right? It's the idol. If you're in constant combat with other people in your life, you might want to ask yourself, what are they taking from you? Or what do you think they're taking from you? And, you know, this thing is an idol if it's causing anger in you. If I think that I'm losing my idol, my symptom's going to be anxiety, Idolatry is not the only cause of anxiety. We've talked about that before in this series. There's other causes of anxiety. But the garden variety form of anxiety and fear is usually that you feel like your idol is slipping away. About to go down here. Right? So when you think about, like, why am I always so worried, so fearful? What is the thing that my heart desires that I feel like is slipping away? Despondency. Whoop. Went right off the cliff. It's totally gone now. I'm going to have the symptom of despair if I've lost my idol. Now, of course, we talked about depression has multiple, many causes, but you ought to wonder about yourself if you're constantly gloomy and downcast. What is that thing that you're worshiping that just kind of went right off the cliff, right? Guys, idols have symptoms. In the back of my Bible, I have this question. It's a diagnostic question for myself, and, it's, and this is what I wrote. What do you want so badly today that is making you miserable, anxious, covetous, bitter, or angry? What is making you sick of soul? That is the idol you need to repent of today, right? Idols have symptoms. Our idols are actually making us quite miserable, like Gollum. In our old house, we had a problem with rats outside, and the neighbors would poison them, and then they would drop in our yard dead, which was awesome. And um, our dog, at the time, Boston Terrier, she was very excited to find these, and I would sometimes go out there, and she would have this rotten, poison-filled rat in her mouth, and then I had to chase her around the yard trying to get it out of her mouth, right? You guys get it, right? That's us. That's us when we have an idol we won't get rid of, when we say not yet. She thought that was her precious. This is a rotting, poison-filled rat in her mouth, and she won't let go of it. Guys, think about the idol that you're tempted with, tempted to hold on to. How has it failed to bless you but also, how is it actively destroying your relationships, your intimacy with Christ, your life? It's what it does. An idol, guys, is whatever you will sin to have. You know, sin is a symptom of idolatry. It's the sin under the sin. An idol is something that you will sin to get, you will sin to keep, and you will respond sinfully when people deprive you of it. Whatever you're willing to sin for is your idol. These symptoms of bitterness and anger and envy and anxiety and despair are merely the sounds of us worshiping our true God. We should be on the lookout for it, right? So, guys, I know that this is an interesting Mother's Day sermon. 
But guys, understanding idolatry is such a powerful tool. It is so helpful. It is so helpful to understand these concepts. Like the biblical idea of idolatry is just, it was game changing for me. I mean, I went to a church that, you know, a lot of times they would preach the command that's in scripture and then it would kind of lead towards like, and you should be doing this if you're a real Christian. And if you're not doing it, you, maybe you're not saved. And that was kind of the preaching arc. But I sat there and I have a pretty high assurance of salvation. I don't know. God's always kind of given that to me where I, as soon as I believed in Christ, I was like, no one's getting in the way of this, you know? And I would sit there and I'd go like, I think I'm saved and I am doing these things. What is the other explanation? And this was so helpful. It was idolatry. I had, and still do struggle with, a worship disorder, right? To truly change, we have to go after what we worship. We have to go after the thing we trust in more than the Lord. The thing that's our true help and shield. The thing we're looking to for ultimate comfort. Guys, we have to pull the sin out by the roots. Those of you who still have lawns, not for long. When you have weeds in your yard, you know, the tempting thing to do is just mow over it all. Because it all looks like grass when it's, you know. But what happens? The weeds grow faster, right? So the next day it's like, whoop, and it's like, okay, exposed. If we're going to go after our sin, we have to go after the roots. The root is the idol. The root is the thing we're worshiping. We have to go after that if we're really going to change. And we have to go after the root. You know, I ask myself, like, okay, why am I so irritable right now? Or angry, or nervous, or gloomy? These are the sounds of me worshiping another god. So I need to look at that worship. I need to repent of that worship. I need to pull that weed out by the roots. Guys, this concept, this biblical concept, will help you in your own sanctification. It will help you a ton in your parenting because you don't want to just be mowing over your kids' weeds, right? You want to help them show them where the roots are and help them pull it out. And maybe not just say to them, like, well, you're not doing it. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. No, help this kid that believes in Christ. Like, pull that weed out by the roots, and explain to them that you worship the same things. She's like, wow, Dad, how do you know all this? Well, I've spent a lot of time worshiping that exact idol. <laughs> That's how I know a lot about this. So we need to pull it out by the roots. It'll help with your sanctification, your parenting, and the ministry to people right here in the room. So that's the foolishness of our idols. And I'm going to look pretty quickly at the faithfulness of our God. And I know that's imbalanced. I spend so much time on that. But let's turn to, to looking at how we should trust in the Lord because he is a better help and he's our shield. Look at verse 9. Oh, Israel, you can take that as you. Oh, God's people, listen to this. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Oh, house of Aaron, which is the priests, right? The religious leaders, they need to hear this too. They're idolaters too. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has remembered us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless all those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. There's a call to everyone to turn from idols and trust in the Lord. He says, Israel, the priests, all those who fear the Lord, the small and the great, us and our kids, everyone needs to hear that the Lord is better than anything else we're tempted to worship. Amen? And he's better for a few reasons. He's better because he's our maker. Look at verse 15. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth has been given to the children of man. This is really cool when we think about idols. The Lord is your maker, and you are the maker of your idols, okay? He's pointing you to your maker, 
You, but you're the maker of your idols. Which is more likely to help you? The thing that you just made or the, or the one who made you? It's pretty easy, right? Who should you turn to for help? The thing you just made to worship or the one who made you? So he is our maker. He is full of love and faithfulness. For this, I'm going to jump up to verse 1. He says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Guys, that's something your idol does not have. <laughs> Guaranteed. That, that word there for steadfast love is the rich Hebrew word hesed. The beautiful word hesed, multifaceted word. But it, it speaks of God's relentless, gracious, covenant care of you. That he doesn't let you go, that he's in covenant with you, and he's going to continue to love you and be gracious to you and just relentlessly be there for you. While our idols promise rewards for our worship, and they always fail us, the Lord just keeps on showing up with grace. Have you guys experienced that? And God keeps on showing up, showing you grace. That's said. The word for faithfulness there is the word emet, which means truth. So this is God's absolute trustworthy truthfulness. All the idols are lies, but God is always all truth. And the Lord is our help and our shield because only he is full of said. That loving grace and emmet full of truth. He's also the one who gives life. Take a look at verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord. He's speaking of the idol worshipers, if you, if you go up. All who worship idols become like them. He says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do those who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. Those who worship idols become like them, become silent and dead. But those who worship the Lord, it says, will do so forever, meaning that their life is only beginning. Our life only grows. Guys, this was going to be a lifelong temptation for us. We're always going to be tempted to idols when we enter any kind of unhappy circumstances with an unseen God. But what's really exciting when we turn in the New Testament is that our God is actually not an unseen God anymore. Did you realize that? He's actually not unseen anymore. Yahweh, the Lord from Psalm 115, has come into the world in a body to be seen. Isn't that amazing? He showed up in a body to be seen. And you know what else is amazing? He showed up with a mouth that could speak, eyes that could see, ears that could hear, hands that could feel, and feet that could walk. The Apostle John puts it this way, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of Hesed, full of Emmet, full of grace and truth. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh of Psalm 115, made flesh. And here's the amazing thing with Jesus. With his mouth that he could speak, he gave us the most amazing life-giving words, didn't he? Just read the Gospels. You think of what he did with that mouth that could speak. How he gave us these amazing life-giving words. And with those eyes that could see, he saw our need for help, and he was drawn to compassion. And with his ears that could hear, Jesus heard the cries of our affliction. And with his hands that could feel, he took the nails that our sin deserves. And with the feet that could walk, he carried the cross of our shame. Amen? Your idols never did anything like that for you. Your idols don't love you. And you know what else is great about Jesus? Lots of things. <laughs> Check out something else that's great from Psalm 115. 
those who worship him will become like him. Right? Remember how verse 8 said that we become like what we worship? Those who worship Christ will become like him. Isn't that amazing that it works that way too? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord Jesus and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I love that. I'll read it to you again. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus are being transformed into the same image as him from one degree of glory to another. We become like what we worship. If we worship dead idols, we become like them. If we worship Christ, the Spirit makes us more and more like him, more and more alive, more and more full of grace and truth from one degree of glory to another. Amazing. Guys, seeing the beauty of Christ is the only thing that will open our idolatrous hands so that we drop our idols, right? We see him and we're like, we found something better to grab hold of. We found someone better to grab hold of. We want to grab hold of Jesus. And so we'll drop our idols to have him. Oh, Israel, trust the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Let's pray. Father, help us to drop our idols now as we come to your communion table, as we put our hands out to receive the elements, as a picture of just the freeness of salvation in Jesus, that we could just don't have to work for this, that we just put out an empty hand and you give us Christ and you give us everything that Christ is. You give us his righteousness before you. You give us his life flowing through our bodies. Father, we pray that the offer of that would cause us to want to get everything else out of our hands and just reach out to receive. And as we take the bread and the cup in our hands, we pray that you would feed us on the real presence of Christ in these elements. We pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, that it would strengthen us to worship you with our whole hearts, forsaking all others, forsaking all idols, all the days of our life, that we would worship you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.